Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. If you have your Bible, your phone, or whatever you're reading on, you can go ahead and open it up to Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. And I'll give you a second to get there. You know, we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mound, and this is a, a a series of sermons, a sermon that Jesus is giving to the people, and he's really just breaking down the way to live your life. And if you are a new believer and you want somewhere to just read one chunk and kind of understand the heart of the kingdom and the the principles of the kingdom, the Sermon on the Mount is the place to go. We're going to jump in right here. Jesus speaking, verse 5. He says, whenever you pray, somebody say whenever. You must not be like the hypocrites. Somebody say hypocrites. Because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. He says, I assure you, they've got their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret. Somebody needs to remind, remember that just right now. Your father sees in secret. That'll scare you. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the idolaters, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask them. He says, therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father, there we go. Y'all know, I trust it, I trust it. I know we got enough retired Catholics in this room. I love the Our Father prayer. It's finally something we can all agree on, right? And our Father prayer is such an amazing prayer, such a, man, it's artistic and poetic and speaks to the heart of the kingdom and so much. And we're going to have some daily devotionals actually this week on that. We're not going to break down the Our Father prayer today. We're going to break down that beginning section. But man, get in those devotionals this week. I'm telling you, that prayer is going to teach you the practical ways to pray. But we are going to talk about prayer a little bit. And the name of my message today is Lost in the Logic. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word, Lord. Lord, that your word never returns void. Lord, I thank you for the people in this room, Lord, that you saw each and every one of them. Your word says, before the foundations of the earth were laid. Well, let us not just hear that in our head, but in our hearts this morning. You saw us, you knew us, and you planned for us to be in this room for you to do something supernatural. And Lord, we have not come just to look up here and to see me or to see each other, Lord, but we've come to see you. And Lord, your word says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. So, Lord, you do what only you can do. We love you and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody in here get lost when it comes to prayer? Anybody in here have a problem with being honest? Because we got some liars in the room. And I know we got some prayer warriors in here. Where's Will Dunham at? Just praying. Will Dunham's praying for me right now. He probably left the room and said, that boy needs some prayer. I'm going to pray for him. I know we got prayer. We got some pochets on the front. We got some prayer warriors. But for me, prayer has always gotten kind of a struggle. You know, it's kind of out of all the disciplines, I would rather fast than pray at times. It just comes easier to me. And if I'm being honest, you know, I get lost in praying. You know, it's kind of this discipline that we know that we're supposed to do, that we know that we need to do, that we know that we have to do. But if I'm being really honest, even when they ask me to come up here and speak on prayer, I'm like, why are they asking the most ADD person up in here to come speak on prayer? Because when I start to pray, if I'm going to keep it really real, I'll begin praying for the day. And I thank God for his goodness, his grace. And then I'll start to pray for somebody. 
Then I start to get really super spiritual and try to pat myself on the back as a pastor because I start to pray for somebody's uh, doctor's appointment that I remembered, which last time I was actually up here and we prayed, I got to share on this stage, uh, we prayed for a guy who had just been diagnosed with cancer. I spoke with him yesterday, and the first three words out of his mouth was, my tumor is gone. <laughs> but I'll start to pray for somebody about their doctor's appointment coming up. The next thing I know, I find myself making my own doctor's appointment. And then the next thing I know, I find myself on Wikipedia, wicking the ailment that I thought I might have, need this doctor's appointment for. And then they get me with the advertisement. So I got two different pairs of shoes that I'm looking at. I'm praying between them. And then, you know, my wife don't want me buying shoes without her knowing or asking her opinion, so I got to go ask her. And then I go ask her, and Elijah's running around. He's ready for breakfast, and all the boy wants is gummies. Am I preaching to where anybody lives at? This is what my prayer time looks like. I get lost in it. I get lost. I get confused. You know, I get lost all the time. You know, I think about two weeks ago, I was in Peru. I had an opportunity to bring four guys with us to, and represent the heart of healing place to Lima, Peru. It was awesome. Man, we got to go build some houses for some single moms, put together wheelchairs for people that had been stuck their entire life, never owned a wheelchair. And an amazing team, amazing thing has happened. But I remember getting out of the first day, and my thing about a new town, a new space, is I like to check things out, you know? I don't want to get lost in the place. So I'm like, hey, and I don't like to do cardio, but when I like to go to a new place, a new country, a new city, I like to go run. I like to get run and just kind of check things out, and it's the only time I do cardio. I'm anti-cardio club for those people that are in here with me. So I went outside and go run. You know, they gave me all the warnings. You know, they told me, hey, you know, this is Lima, Peru. You know, your cell phone makes you a target. Your Apple Watch makes you a target. Don't be outside on your phone. Don't have your phone even in traffic. Somebody will walk in and snatch it. They will snatch you. So I'm out here running, and I'm, you know, I'm like, I'll find my way around. I walk out the front door. I see two big old mountains. I'm like, all right, I just need to find myself right between these mountains, and I set my target on my phone and all that. I take off running. And I'm running, and I'm like, hey, I think I need to get back home. I look around, and there's mountains everywhere. <laughs> and I'm like, good thing that I set my location on my phone. My wife taught me good, and I go there, and Apple Maps don't work in Lima, Peru. <laughs> and I got my phone out. I'm like nervous, hiding on the corner, because I'm scared somebody's going to steal me and my phone. Then all of a sudden, somebody comes around the corner holding down the horn on their car, and I, free, I take off. I take off running. And this guy's waving his hand at me, and I'm convinced this guy is coming to steal me. I take off, and I run all the way home. I find my way back to the house. I sit down, and I'm sweating, and I'm terrified this guy's going to find me. And the guy that we're staying with looks at me and goes, hey, I saw you out there running in traffic. I tried to stop you. You looked a little lost. But see, when we're lost and we find ourselves in confusion, a lot of times the very things that are for us the very things that are trying to help us, the very things that we need will begin to look like things that are against us. And if we're being honest, this is what prayer has become. It's become this thing that we know we need, that we know we're supposed to, that Pastor Mike can get up here and do it for 20 minutes and he rhymes and everything is pretty and Derek Foster's back there screaming and everybody wishes they could pray like him. But at the same time, it's almost like we're scared of it because we don't want to do it. It's hard for us to do. We don't really, it's not easy for us. It doesn't come natural. So it's almost like it's on this list of things that are against us. But I just want to remind you today that prayer is not broccoli. That's the same way we look at broccoli, right? We know we need it, but it's like our enemy. Prayer is not your enemy, my people. Prayer is for you. Prayer is our secret sauce. Prayer is the juice. 
Prayer is our connection to the supernatural. Man, it is the essence of our being. It is the essence of our religion. It is what separates us from every other religion that there is. It's how we get our salt. It's how we get our flavor that Pastor Johnny talked about last week. It comes through prayer, and there's a process, and I want to help you out today with this process. But I want to teach you today how to pray the most powerful prayers on the planet. Somebody's getting excited. There we go, Miss Geraldine. All right, now, Miss Geraldine, ready for them prayers. I want to teach you how to pray prayers that get answered, prayers that move the heart and the hand of God. Does anybody want that in here? And I'm going to do it all for the low price of $3.99 a person. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. But what if we did have a church like that, you know? Hey, but I do have three different points for us today. And I really do believe that we get these prayer, if we get these points down, if we get this in our heart and we implement this into our life, that we truly will live a life and be of a prayer life that will change our lives. A prayer life that really will see, you'll look back and see, they're not once that I've seen the righteous forsaken or begging for bread. That God has answered all of my prayers. That he has always been faithful to me. And there's three parts to this thing. And the first thing we want to do is our part. Our part. I love Jesus, man. I just love the way that he talks to people. I love the Bible. I'm pretty sure that the Bible is the first recording of passive aggressivity. It's the first time we've ever seen passive aggressiveness recorded. Jesus says, whenever you pray, he doesn't say like, hey, whenever you get around to it, or if you get around to it, or if you just so happen to maybe pray. No, he says, whenever you pray. See, he's already implicating the fact that if you want to live any of the stuff that we've already talked about, if you want to be the salt and the light, if you want to live in this kingdom the way that he's called us to, if you want to walk in all that he's called you to walk in, then you're going to have to pray. It's not if, it is whenever you pray, because it's our connection to the supernatural. And the truth is, we still struggle to do it. We struggle to trust God on the other side of the coin when everything seems like it's falling apart and all hell is breaking loose. Or, or we, tr- we struggle to trust God whenever Marla comes up here and gives the, the principle of the tithe. And we know that we're in the middle of a season of inflation and $10 and 10% ain't got you what it used to get. Well, there ain't no inflation in the kingdom, my people. And we struggle to trust God when things are hard, but yet it's because we didn't pray in the first place. See, trust and relationship are not two separate things. See, we want the trust that comes in a relationship, but we don't want to do our part, the relationship part. How many married people we got in here? How many know communication is key in marriage? And all the women said amen. I think Robert Bowman might be the only man in here who said amen. I appreciate you, Robert. Communication is key. Man, it's what allows me to live my day in peace. It allows me to live my day knowing what's going to happen, what to expect. But see, communication with our Father is the same way. See, it's through our communication, our relationship with Him, that we can build this trust, that we can build this safety, that we can have this attention. See, because out of that is where safety is built. See, God doesn't just expect you just to to trust Him. He wants to build trust with you. He wants you to get to know him, him get to know you. You pray and communicate on a regular basis and him build this foundation of trust with you, this foundation of safety, so that when things go crazy, 
You already know what his words said, despite what their words said. Despite what that bank account said, you already know he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And if he provided for the sparrow, he's going to provide for you. But we got to communicate with him. We've got to get with him for us and to tell us that. Because so many times we still find ourselves trying to find that promises of God card that Pastor Mike gave us three weeks ago and trying to get his word that he gave us and put it in our place when God wants to give you your own word. Anybody here know what a rhema word is? Ooh, God wants to give somebody a rhema word today. See, a rhema word, I wouldn't plan on going to this. A rhema word is a word for you, specifically for you in the season that you're in. It answers the questions that you have. It's not just a shotgun blast of Bible verses, but it is a verse that our Father wants to sit down with you inside of you and say, hey, this is for you, Nolan. This is for you in this season. And I'm telling you, those rhema words, those are the words that you can hold on to in the shadow in the valley of death and know that he still is going to defeat all your enemies. He wants to give somebody a rhema word in here. And God don't need our prayers. He don't need them. He's got plenty to do without our prayers, but he wants them. He desires to sit with you. Y'all get this? I'm not talking about in your head. I'm talking about in your heart. The creator of heaven and earth desires to sit with you and hear what you have to say. He don't need our prayers because the truth is he's going to answer them whether you pray them or not because that's how good he is to his children, but he wants them. But see, prayer is for us. We're the ones who need it. You know, in my home right now, I got two kids and a demonic dog. And it's going to take a lot for you to convince me that every dog is not demonic. But if anybody's in dog deliverance, you can come to my house right now. But in my house right now, communication is everything. The way that my day goes depends on communication. It doesn't matter how amazing the calendar that my amazing, beautiful wife made me. And no matter how much I look at it, because I do look at it, Communication is everything. Hey, I know the calendar said this, but I'm going to pick up Elijah today. Hey, is Sailor still feeling bad? Are you going to take care of that thing? You know, who's cooking dinner? Hey, girl, what you doing later on tonight? You know, communication is everything. And even if everything goes crazy in that day, I still know at the end of the night, I got something to look forward to, spending time with my girl, because we have plans that night. But see, you make plans, you communicate what's going on, how things are going to go. And this is how I go through my day knowing that I can have love, I can have joy, I can have peace, patience, and kindness, because I know that the rest of the day is going to be okay. And this is what God wants to do with you every morning, that you know that everything is going to be okay today, but we got to do our part, and it doesn't have to be pretty. I think about the way that me and my wife communicate now, sometimes it's voice notes, sometimes it's just a gif or jif or whatever you want to call it. Man, sometimes God's fine with just a layup prayer. Hey, God, I'm walking into this meeting. Please help me. He's good with that. He wants you to pray your mind. You know, maybe if you struggle just to sit down and do it, write it down. I'm telling you, I'm not a journaler at all, but I've sat down with a journal. I just began to write the things that are on my mind. That's what a prayer is. Man, he wants to know about the things that are keeping you up at night the things that you're worried about, the things that you're concerned about, the things that you're too ashamed to even tell your BFF about that you did because you're too ashamed about it. He wants to take those things. See, prayer is a transference of weight. It's a transference of stress. It's a transference of responsibility. We got responsibilities in this world, but your life, and he says your life is not your own. It is his responsibility to provide. 
once you do your part. It's his responsibility to speak to you once you do your part. It's his responsibility to part the sea once you do your part. He wants to speak to you, but we got to do our part. My second point is our posture. Our posture. The first part to pray powerful prayers is our part. The second part is our posture. Picking up back in that verse, he says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by people. They've got their reward. But when you pray, go into a private room, shut the door to pray to your father who is in secret. He says, when you pray, don't babble like the idolaters since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Jesus done used the word hypocrite up in church. Can we just talk about that word hypocrite for a second? Everybody who loves to sleep in on Sunday and not come to church's favorite word is hypocrite. They say, I ain't going to that big old church up on Highland Road full of hypocrites, right? Y'all heard this before? I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. Hey, we're going to add a third service. We have 11 o'clock service. If you like to sleep in on Sunday mornings, you can just be honest. If you like to sleep in on Sunday mornings. But when we talk about the word hypocrite, see, we automatically think this definition of a person who does, says one thing but does the other. But that's not what the Bible is talking about when they talk about hypocrite. Because if you want to talk about somebody who says they want to do one thing and they do something else, I think they got everybody in the room. Hopefully everybody in this world wants to do a little bit better than they're doing right now. All the people calling y'all hypocrites are the same people that said back in January they wanted to have a six-pack by the summer, and the only six-pack they had was a Bud Light. Oh, I'm sorry, they didn't have Bud Light. Let me rephrase that. It's been a tough year for Bud Light. But Jesus says, do not be like the hypocrites. Hopefully everybody in here wants to do better than they are. The Bible says that we're sinners. We're flawed. It says that we want one thing, but our flesh goes and does something else. But when the Bible, when Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites, what he's actually talking about, the Greek word for hypocrite is somebody that is an actor. Somebody that is playing a part. Somebody that is playing a role. Somebody who is reading lines, reading off of a script. He's saying, don't be an actor. Don't be like the... Instagram influencers that are praying these loud prayers and they're always rhyming and they always have Gucci on while they do it and, you know, they got their car in the background while they do it and they doing all this on Instagram and then they cussing out their wife the next second. Or they don't pray in, they don't pray in private. What he's saying is don't be no prayer partner on Mondays and not pray on, sun, uh, and on Sundays and not pray on Mondays. He's saying don't get up and just act like a Christian. He's saying, don't play the part, do the real thing. I love one of, the, this, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and I bring it back to me always because it gives me a perspective shift. It's in Luke 18.10. Jesus is talking again about two different men going to pray different prayers. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, a sinner. Tax collectors were the worst of the worst. They were the scum of the earth. They were like a, equivalent to a terrorist in today's time. So Jesus is saying we got a terrorist and a Pharisee who is a religious leader, a priest, a pastor, going to pray. He says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, 
or even that tax collector over there. Y'all know y'all do the same thing in church. Boy, I'm happy I don't look like that guy over there. You look like it's probably his first time in church. Tax collector says, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Good job tithing, my boy. It says, but the tax collector, the sinner stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But it says that he beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I mean, that's a prayer from the heart, not from the head, from the heart. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Man, he didn't even pray the sinner's prayer. He didn't say the right words. He didn't do it in the right outfit. He didn't do it in front of the right people. Man, this man knew he lived a life so shameful, so dirty. He knew that he was employed to this day. It doesn't say he used to be a tax collector. Your boy probably collected taxes the day before, illegally, unethically. He didn't even pray the sinner's prayer. He didn't even ask for forgiveness for each one of his sins. He just said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it says that he walked away justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. See, God knows that we need a posture of authenticity in private so that you can walk in the Spirit authentically in public. God wants you to walk in the Spirit authentically. Everything that Pastor Johnny talked about last week, being the salt, being the light, he doesn't want you to have to act like the salt. He doesn't want you to get pumped up from walking in the house. My wife's going to be in there, going to have to serve her. My kids are going to be in there, got to serve them. Oh, let me, salt and light, wake up, where you at? He doesn't want us to have to play a part. He doesn't want you to have to act like you're happy or act like you want to pray. But man, we get this. We get this authentic posture. We'll be able to live in that spirit, live through the fruit of the spirit authentically, where it just flows out of our hearts. God's saying, I don't want to hear your performance. I want to hear what's on your mind. He says, tell me about it. Tell me about all of it. Let me take that weight. Let me take that burden. And you take my yoke, which is light and easy. See, throughout this whole sermon, we see Jesus laying down the ground rules for being in the kingdom, you know? He's been telling us things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. You're the salt and light of the earth. You know, he's been telling us all these things in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't murder. You know, he goes on to say, even those that ain't angry enough have already committed murder in their heart. And he starts to lay down all these kingdom laws, all these kingdom principles. You know, he says, if, you call, if your eye causes you to stumble, cut it out. He says, don't get divorced. That's a word for somebody right now. He said, don't get divorced. It's not my will for you. He says, turn the other cheek, love your enemy, give to the poor. He's given us all these principles, all these logical principles of how to function in his kingdom. And if you do these things that he's been telling us that we've been talking about the past couple of weeks, he says, you will flourish in this kingdom. I mean, if we did these things in the world, in the life, man, we would flourish in this life. He gives us everything that we need to do to please our king. In order to live that way, he says, you've got to pray this way, though. You know, we talked about the past week, light, salt and light of the earth. How do you do that? Pray this way, he says. You want to really walk in this calling? Pray this way, he says. And he's given us all these principles to be a citizen of the kingdom, right? And he says, this is how you pray. Our Father. 
So you see, there's something, a shift that happens right here. All of a sudden, he speaks to you as just if you're a citizen of a kingdom. Hey, to be a good citizen, you got to do this. To be a good citizen, you got to do that. But then he says, when you talk to me, I want you to talk to me like this, our father. And he goes from being a king to a father. And you go from being a citizen to a son and a daughter. If we want to pray these prayers, we're going to have to have our part down. We're going to have to have a posture of authenticity. And third, our position. See, every relationship in your life is either law-based or love-based. Work is law-based. Some of you might love your job, but it's, it's optional. They don't care if you love it or not. You're going to show up or you don't get paid. Government is law-based. I mean, you know, the IRS ain't showing you no love. Entergy, <laughs> law-based. You call Energy and let them know, hey, you know, it's kind of been a tough month. See how much love you feel. There's a grace period put by the blood of Jesus, but after grace is Old Testament, baby. There ain't no love from energy. And then we have love-based relationships, right? Friendships are love-based. I love JT Terry, one of my boys. But guess what? If I hurt JT's feelings, the police ain't coming for me. Not yet. He might, he might be able to sue me for hurting his feelings soon, but not yet. All of our relationships are either love-based or law-based, but there's only one type of relationship that is both law-based and love-based, and that is a covenant relationship. See, that's why God says, this relationship with me and you is a picture of marriage. See, your covenant with God, your covenant with your spouse is the only relationship in this world where you're both bound lovingly and legally. And God gives us all of these logical principles on how to be a a person of the kingdom, how to be a good citizen, how to flourish in the kingdom. But he knew that we needed more than just the law. You see, the law is great. Logic is great. But God knew logic could only touch a head. It takes love to touch somebody's hearts. Religion touches people's head. It speaks to people's mind. But only relationship speaks to their hearts. And I love the logical. I love the law. You know, I, I've lived my last 13 years, it seems like, on this stage. I announced my engagement to Allison on this stage th uh, 10 years ago. You know, I think about HIPCO. I graduated from Healing Place College on this stage. I got married in this, through this place. Our adoption, you know, we fundraised for our adoption. God miraculously gave us $60,000 in like three days from this stage, you know. I've gotten to see... Uh, Elijah being brought into our family on this stage. I walked through brokenness on this stage. I preached my first message on this stage. In the past 13 years, you know, I've learned how to live because of watching people on this stage. You know, I had to get it out the mud. I didn't necessarily have a father to teach me how to do this thing. I learned by looking at logic. That's why I love all these things that Jesus gives us. You want to be blessed? Give. It's logical. It's easy. It's one plus one equals two. But I learned through logic. One plus one equals two. You want to be a better dad? Look at the good dads on this stage. See what they do. You want to be a good husband? Look at good husbands. You want to change your tire? Learn how to change your tire. You want to be healthy? Eat healthy food. You want to work out? Get a gym membership. These are all logical things. This is what I've leaned on. Because if you know this, 13 years ago, I started this life with nothing. I walked in this church out of my 10th rehab. I had to relearn how to do everything. And I've relearned through logic in life.
And even in the kingdom, I've, I've just held these principles. You know, give the first 10%, he's going to bless the other 90. You know, if you want to be first in the kingdom, you've got to be last. If you want to be greatest, make yourself the least. If you want to be a leader, serve. These are kingdom logical principles, and they've guided me. They've kept me alive. They've got me a job at this church. They've kept me employed. I love logic. Logic is great. And it's treated me so good, and it's done me so well until I got married. Logic speaks to the head, but only love speaks to the heart. I mean, a man with no logic is lost, but the same man can get lost in the logic. You know, my wife and I were going on 10 years. We celebrate 10 years this September. We're so awesome. By the grace of God. And my wife is amazing. She's phenomenal. But we have had some struggles when it comes to communication. I'm just keeping it real, really real. It has been rough. We've been having the same argument for 10 years, it seems like. I don't hear her. I got ears, girl. I looked in the hearing aids, and I don't like the way she's talking to me. Can I be real? Isn't that it? That's the way it goes in my house. I'm not hearing her. I don't like the way she's talking to me. I'm not here. And honestly, I've never taken responsibility because logically it's always been her fault until we ended up in some good marriage counseling. And we ended up in a good marriage workshop. And man, God began to speak to me about some things. See, logic is lost without love. All these kingdom principles that God has given us. Do this, do that. You know, give to receive, sow to reap a harvest. They work. I'm telling you, even if you take your heart out of the picture and you just begin to, because I've done it, taking my heart out of the picture, just begin to do the principles. They work. There will be fruit in your life. Not one word from the girl of the God returns void. But God wants to speak to your heart. God wants to touch your heart. Logic without love is loss. See, logic must play a part, but love must lead. See, logic says to lead or to lord things over other people like that Pharisee did, but love says to serve people. Love has a different tone than logic. Love talks at you. Love sit, I mean, logic talks at you. Love sits with you. Logic enslaves or employs, but love adopts. Some of you have been looking at your relationship with God as a citizen this whole time. And God wants to see yourself as a son. It's in your position as a son and a daughter that changes everything. It's in that position that he doesn't just touch your head, but he touches your heart. Logic destroys and gets new. Love repairs and makes new. Logic divorces and finds better. Love stays and gets better. See, I'm just happy. I'm not talking about earthly marriage. I'm just talking about happy that Jesus didn't divorce me. Whenever I made the wrong decisions, whenever I went the wrong way, when I made the mistakes, whenever I was unfaithful, logic divorces and finds better, but love stays and gets better. Instead of divorcing, he made a plan. See, logic gives up and moves on, but love gives up everything and moves in. That's what Jesus did. God could have looked down at us and said, man, they're broken. They're messed up. They're dirty. Destroy them. Give me some new ones. But instead, he gave everything. He gave his only son, and he moved into our world. 
How many of you are thankful for that love? See, logic says, stay away, you're dirty. Love says, come here, I've got some water. And God begins to just roll me up about this difference between love and logic. He said, you've been loving your wife with all the logic. Give yourself as Christ gave himself to the church. Thought I'm doing that, Jesus. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I thought I'm doing it. But he's trying to speak to more than just logic. He's trying to get to our hearts. And he begins to roll me up about all this. And then how many of you know Jesus didn't just stop there? He never stops there. And he's speaking to me. I'm at this marriage workshop. And, man, I begin to even cry. And like, man, I looked at this the wrong way the whole time. And then he really dropped the bomb on me. He goes, yeah, how many times, why do you think that you struggled to receive my love the right way for the past 13 years? Been looking at it logically this whole time. My love is illogical. My love does not make sense. And you're trying to make sense of it. How can a God that's this good love a man that's this dirty? Love a man that's just broken. How, and I've been trying to logically compute this, and it makes no sense. And we cling to our logic so tightly, yet our greatest desire in life is connection. But logic and connection don't mix. We get this desire from God's connection, his desire for connection, because we were created in his image. I don't know if you know this or not, but your greatest desire in this world it's not for fame, power, money, friends. It's for connection, genuine connection, because he created you with a hole in your soul for genuine connection that only he can fill. And people will do anything for connection. They're desperate for it. Our world is desperate for connection. That's why we will see two people in this world that have nothing to their name, not a job, not a penny to their name, and they will go do the only act on this earth that will ever create another being that's solely responsible for them, solely responsible to them, that they have to provide for. They don't even know where they're going in life. It's because we're desperate for connection. People will do anything. They'll do illogical things, things that make no sense for connection. That's why our country is at odds with each other about pro-life and, and pro-choice. And, and nobody has stood up and said, hey, what if we just don't have sex? Because it's not an option. Because we think this is how we connect. This is how they've been taught connection happens. And they're so desperate for it, that's not an option. And we find ourselves in life the same way, desperate for connection. We'll do anything for it. We'll do illogical things for it. That's why when my wife and I, we'll even do it for love. My wife and I were dating. I was in Bible college, broke as can be. I went a whole day without eating so I could afford to buy her a five-pound block of cheese because all I knew for Christmas was that she liked cheese. But y'all know how it is. We will deny essential needs when it comes to love and connection. We will fast when we want to hear a word from God if we want it hard enough. And when y'all are dating, I bet you, Mr. Mike, you drove some long distances you won't drive for Miss Lynn right now when you were desperate for her, huh? So we're desperate for connection. God sees this. And this is why he's been trying to speak to your heart. Love doesn't make sense. Quit trying to make sense of it. It'll do anything for connection. 
God knew that logic could touch your hand, touch your head, but only love could touch your heart. And that's why God did something illogical. Why he bankrupted heaven. He saw the space, the chasm between. And he said, I'll do anything for you to call yourself my son. I'll do anything for you to know that you're my daughter. And he gave everything he had. And he moved into this earth. It says the word became flesh. And he dwelled among us. And he's dwelling among us in this room today because he sees what your heart is desperate for. Whether you know it or not, this is what you've been thirsting for. Those late hours that you stay scrolling through your phone trying to find something to fill a void. That dating app that you swipe through left and right trying to fill a void. Those hours that you put in that you know you're sacrificing your family for trying to fill a void. He sees those, and he says, let me feel that. Let me feel that today. You know, I've been learning about this love. You know, I say I've, I've, I've learned a lot of time on this stage over the past 13 years. I love, I've lived a lot of wins, but I've lived a lot of losses too. And it's been in those losses that I saw his love the most. You know, back in April this year, you know, my wife and I, we, we found out that uh, we were pregnant again. You know, I mean, you know, my story, you know, we adopted Elijah, then we got pregnant for Selah. She's our miracle baby. She's a year and a half almost now. And we got pregnant again back in the beginning of this year, and we were so excited. And we felt like God giving it to us. It was a blessing from him. We named him. We knew it was a boy. Named him Zion Brave. It means heavenly brave. Brave but Heavenly. And, you know, a couple months went by, and my wife went to her first ultrasound. And, you know, it's just another ultrasound, so I didn't really care to, uh, not that I didn't care to go. I wasn't able to go. And, you know, we got a call, and we, she, had called, she called me and let me know that things weren't looking good. And we found out the baby didn't make it. And, man, we just wept on the phone. And I've never wept with my wife like that in my life. And I don't know if I've wept like that in the past 13 years ever. But at the same time of our weeping, I could sense something inside of me. And it was two contradicting things, things that logically made no sense at all. Because I felt the most grief, I felt the most loss that I've ever felt in my whole life. Yet at the same time, I felt the love of God like I never have before. See, so, you know, we go on and she had to have a procedure and we walk in the hospital and she's met by Miss Hannah Wins. Miss Hannah, one of, our prayer, one of our prayer partners and greeters, one of her best friends, a prayer partner, is her nurse. And before we even figure out who's who, this lady just starts praying over my wife. And the social walker walks in the hospital room, and it's Tanner and Amanda's sister. We know her from the church. She's a social worker for the procedure, and she walks in the room, and we're just weeping by the fact that here we are in the biggest loss of our life, more broken than I've ever been before. Yet I feel most loved and more loved than I ever have before. And I see his goodness and I see his faithfulness and it makes no sense how somebody can lose the biggest thing they've ever had. But when you look at it in comparison to God's goodness, when I look at it compared to all that he's done in my wife and I's life in the past 13 years, it pales in comparison. Because that's how good his life is. Over these past 13 years, I've been building trust with him. 
And I've had some of the best years. I've had some of the worst years. But I can stand here today saying that he is faithful. No matter what you're going through today, no matter what you walked in here with today, he is faithful. And I don't care if you've been, this is your first time coming to church. You've been coming to this church for your whole life. I don't know if you, maybe you just found out this was a church. But if you're in here, he's faithful. And he's faithful for me and he wants to be faithful to you. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.